It was kind of interesting. I didn't really plan to do this, but last week our focus was on learning to trust. It had to do with obeying the commandments of Jesus and uh, the fact that he will be with us always, even to the end of the age, as we saw in the Great Commission. And yet it, it led into this week and the next three week, or next two weeks after, which are actually a focus on trust. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him and He will make your path straight. So we're, we're looking at this need to trust Jesus, to trust the Lord, and, and specifically to trust Him in contrast to our own understanding. And as we're going to see in the passage today in Mark chapter 8, verses 27 through 38, uh, Jesus' disciples are going to be called to trust His ways, what He is proclaiming to be His ministry, not their expectations. And, and we as well, as His disciples here 2,000 years later, we are being called to trust Him, trust His teaching not trust our own understanding, not to lean on our own understanding. And I, I think one of the struggles that uh, we have as modern believers sometimes is it can be difficult to trust Jesus' teachings, trusting His ways. And we can get to the point where we lean on our own understanding just a bit too much. And so my my hope for us this morning is as we go through this passage, we will wrestle with and we will think about even, what are those ways that I have changed my understanding, my beliefs, since coming to faith in Jesus Christ? Am I open to, am I willing to allow God to change me? You'll notice if you have the, the sermon notes that there are no sermon notes this week. Uh, you, there's room for you to keep your notes. But instead, it, it just wasn't working this week to, to put in some kind of a line for you to, to fill in. I do have some points. We'll get to those. But it just wasn't working in that format. But what I do have is after the sermon, this afternoon or at some point this week, hopefully, uh, some questions for you to wrestle with, to reflect upon for yourself. And my encouragement for us is that we would consider how we have grown since coming to faith, what, what that has done to us in our lives, and maybe even to consider what are some ways that we still struggle to obey the Word of God, to obey Scripture, or to allow God to, to affect us, to change us. We're going to see here in, in Mark chapter 8, verses 27 through 38, Jesus' call to His disciples to follow Him. He says, follow me. And that means so much more than just uh, proclaiming faith in Him, as we will see. What is, and, and I don't want to say what is, what is, you know, we'll get there, we'll get there. Let me go ahead, since I'm tripping over my own thoughts here, let's go ahead and get into God's thoughts, His Scripture. If you'll join with me in, in verse 27 there. Uh, Jesus went out, along with His disciples, to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he questioned his disciples, saying to them, Who do people say that I am? 
They told him, saying, John the Baptist. And others say, Elijah. But others, one of the prophets. And he continued by questioning them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered him and said to him, You are the Christ. And he warned them, No one about him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days, rise again. Now, I'm going to stop right there because uh, from 27 to 31, what what we see are a progression of beliefs about who Jesus Christ is. Jesus begins with asking His disciples as they're on their way to Caesarea Philippi, who do people say that I am? He's been teaching, He's been healing, He's been ministering. Who do people think that I am? Who do they say that I am as they're talking amongst themselves? And the, the disciples say, well, some people think you're John the Baptist. Others think that you're Elijah. Others think you're just one of the prophets. And and this is kind of the world's way of viewing Jesus. Who does the world say that Jesus is? Well, if you you talk to a Muslim, they're going to say he is a prophet. They will deny that he is the Son of God, but they believe that he is a prophet. They believe that he represented God and that he had a message. And so, in, in a weird way, they actually don't have a problem. I mean, maybe some of the more modern ones do. But a traditional Muslim doesn't actually have problem with the idea of reading scripture the new testament because those are the books that tell them about this prophet jesus and and so it is actually uh, acceptable in places that are muslim majority to share a gospel book matthew mark luke or john because it is the insil of jesus it's the book of jesus and he's one of their many prophets and then it's through reading that word that they find out wait a minute he's not just one of their prophets but people throughout the world you know what do you think of jesus oh well he was a good teacher oh oh, well he was a good person oh well he did amazing things you know but do they acknowledge that he's the son of god do they acknowledge that he is the messiah no They'll, they'll give him a certain amount of credit but not everything that's very much what the crowds were saying, he's John the Baptist, you're, you're like Elijah, you're one of the other prophets. And, and, and then Jesus p- pushed in verse 29, but who do you say that I am? So you're the ones that are following me, who do you think I am? And Peter, as the spokesperson, says on behalf of everybody, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah, you are the chosen one, you are the anointed one. And this is true. And this is, this is where we start off. We have to recognize as we come into faith in Jesus that He is who He says He is, that He is the Messiah. He is the one who has come to save us from our sins. But then we see something extra. Jesus first, He tells the disciples, He warns them not to tell anyone about Him. This is a common theme in the Gospel of Mark. Jesus is very secretive about who He is in His ministry. He is waiting for the proper time. He doesn't want the word to get out too much. He doesn't want the bold claims to be made before people are willing and able to accept them. There's this thing about what Jesus 
who Jesus is, not just what he claims to be or what he claims about himself, but, but who he is is very hard to accept. It takes time to grow into and accept his teachings. You know, that's why at the very beginning, just follow me. Just walk with me. Just come along with me. Come and see where I lay my head down. And then he's teaching his disciples, and he's teaching his disciples, and we see throughout all the Gospels, his disciples don't necessarily get it early on. They don't understand a lot of the time. But he keeps teaching them, and he keeps them walking with him. And so he acknowledges and he accepts. He doesn't, uh, notice in, math, in Mark, excuse me, he doesn't praise Peter. He doesn't celebrate Peter's answer. He just warns them not to tell other people about him. And here's the reason why. Because in the very next verse, he starts teaching them. He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. This is not something that they understood. This is not something that they accepted, that the Son of Man must be rejected. He must suffer many things and then be rejected. That is not the Messiah that they understand. That is not the Messiah that Israel has been waiting for throughout the the time of the Greeks and throughout the Roman occupation. They are looking for a Messiah who is going to get rid of their adversaries. They're looking for a Messiah who is going to destroy Rome and throw off their shackles and set up the kingdom again. They're not looking for a Messiah who's going to suffer. They're not looking for a Messiah who's going to be rejected by the leadership of their country. They're not looking for a Messiah who's going to to be killed. Much less even thinking about after three days rise again. They, They don't understand. And this is the thing. It's not so much of what we proclaim of Jesus, but what does He proclaim of Himself? You know, you got the world all saying something about Jesus, and then we, you have the church, his disciples, those that say they follow him, proclaiming about Jesus. But the deeper and the, 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 the truth that we need to be focused on is what does Jesus say about himself? And are we willing to allow him? When he tells us something about himself, are we willing to accept that and allow his teaching to change us? Or do we tell him he's got it wrong? And if we're honest, there's a good chance, more often than we like, we tell Jesus he's wrong. Just like Peter. In fact, verse 32, right after 31, he he was stating the matter plainly. He was making it so clear. He, He was speaking openly about it. He was making it with these statements with boldness. This word plainly has the idea that he was making a a statement quoted with resolve and he was making it all known. He was being very clear to his disciples. He wasn't beating around the bush. He was stating the matter plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Peter took him aside and started telling him why he was wrong. Peter took him aside and started to censure him, to chide him. To admonish him. No, you shouldn't be saying these things. No, that isn't right. We might not get into Jesus' face and do that. But I guarantee you there have been times if you have been walking with Christ 
and, and you have been confronted with Scripture, there have been times when you've said, no, that can't be right. And it took time and it took the Holy Spirit's uh, conviction to bring you around to realizing that's right. I remember years ago I, I was preaching on the fact that we need to love our enemies. And it was a year later uh, a man was in my office and he said, you know, I left after that sermon and I didn't come back for a year because that made me so angry. But I came to realize you were right. Because I think my illustration had been, uh, this was during the, you know, the stuff in Afghanistan and with Iraq and, and I was saying we need to love them. Our, our, our political enemies overseas, these you know, world powers that decide that they want to destroy us, we need to do as believers is to love them, to seek their salvation. And, and he just couldn't, he couldn't accept that. But a year later, he said, the Lord's been working on me, and I'm starting to understand that you're right. And it's not that I'm right, it's that I was quoting Scripture, and Scripture is right. But I was applying it to where the rubber meets the road. And a lot of times, that's where we don't want to go with Scripture. We want to keep Scripture theoretical. We want to keep Scripture on a whiteboard, where we can just debate and discuss and talk about it, but not actually do anything with it. And I was trying to bring it to the road. And he didn't like that. And I, I, don't, I don't hold it against him. I, I, for one thing, I thank him for a wonderful illustration that I can use the rest of my life. And the second thing, I've been there. And, and if we're all honest, we've all been there. If you haven't been there, I'm worried about you. Because we should be there. We should be at a place where we have our ideas and we would actually want to rebuke God and tell God why he's wrong while it doesn't... You know, and it can be, it can be you know, love your enemy as your, as your neighbor, you know. Bless those that curse you. Lord, it doesn't work that way in the real world. I love telling God about how those things work in the real world because, you know, he's in heaven. He doesn't understand. He doesn't have to deal with it, right? But no, he understands better than we do. And that's, that's what Peter is doing. Peter takes Jesus aside and he begins to rebuke him because his understanding is, is no, that's not what you're supposed to be. You're not supposed to suffer. You're not supposed to be rejected. You're not supposed to die. That's not what the Messiah does. And he's rebuking Jesus. And, and I love this because in verse uh, 33 there, turning around and seeing his disciples, Jesus doesn't just take in Peter. He's taking them all in because chances are, just as Peter was pronouncing faith in who Christ was as a spokesperson, this might be him speaking up on behalf of all the disciples. They're all feeling no. But he sees all of his disciples and he rebuked Peter. Peter sought to rebuke Jesus. Peter, uh, Jesus rebukes Peter. And he says, get behind me, Satan. For you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but man's. That, that phrase, get behind me, doesn't mean get in line, follow me. It's the idea of depart from me. That's the get. And the behind me is, Depart from me where I can't even see you. It's kind of the idea. Like, I don't, I, go away. I don't want to have anything to do with you. Uh, sometimes we will say in a, you know, in modern, you know, get out of my sight. Get out. I don't want to look at you. I don't want to deal with you right now. Get behind me, Satan, has the idea of 
get out of the way. Depart from me and depart from the back of me. Go. go. And, and why does he say that? And he, he's, he references Satan because Peter, even though Peter is his disciple and Peter is a human, he is representing and he is going along with the deception of Satan in that moment and in that time. And Jesus is letting him know, you are not one of my disciples in this moment. As you're following, you're not following me right now, you're following Satan. And he, he, he elaborates for him further, you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but man's. Man's interest is for the, the Messiah to be a victorious general who destroys the Roman armies. Man desires to live and to not have suffering, but God's desire is different. And specifically in, in relation to the Messiah, God's desire is for Him to save us from our sins by dying on the cross. By suffering as we have suffered. And by saving us through the resurrection. That's God's interest. And, and, and so then, in verse 36, or excuse me, 34, He summoned the crowd with His disciples. So, so first, it's Jesus, uh, Peter rebukes him. And Jesus turns to Peter, but he takes in all the disciples. And now he is turning and summoning the entire crowd around him. This is a pronouncement not just for the disciples, but for everybody. And he said to them, to the disciples and the crowd, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the Gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when He comes in the glory of His Father with the holy angels. So Jesus makes this proclamation to the whole crowd and to the disciples with them. If anyone wishes to come after Me, and this was even one of our memory verses from Luke. We, we got this now, Luke John, chapter 9, verse 23. Jesus, or excuse me, not Jesus, but Mark tweaks it just a little bit. If anyone wishes to come after Me, he must deny himself. That the word deny is a little bit extra than what we saw in Luke chapter 9, verse 23. There, it was a word, a, a, a Greek word, arneomai, which means to, to deny or repudiate. But Mark, he puts a little mustard on it, and he's, he gives them the word aparneomai. So, arneomai, aparneomai. Basically, he adds a, a, a prefix, apo, which means from. So it's not just to deny, but to deny from. It's, it's an emphatic, extra strength denial. Mark is saying that we must deny ourselves. We must not just say, oh, oh, that was wrong or that's the, the, not my way. But no, we have to take a step away from our will. Deny ourselves. Take up our cross and follow Jesus. And, and so... You know, we're seeing the progression of Jesus' statements. You know, the world thinks of him as a good teacher. Oh, he was a nice guy. The disciples, they think, oh, he's a conquering hero. He's a victor. 
And Jesus says, no, I'm the Messiah who's going to die on the cross so that I can save your sins. But not only that, because that's who I am, it's going to affect who you are. If we're going to follow Jesus, we have to go where he went. I mean, the fact that he even says, follow me, is, is so wonderful because you, you can't follow somebody somewhere where they aren't going. You can't follow somebody where they haven't been. So the only way to follow Jesus is to actually do what he did and, and go where he went and go as he went. And so if Jesus took up his cross and went to Calvary, if he suffered and was rejected and died on the cross for our sins, he turns to us and says, that's who I am and that's who you are going to be. The Christian life, I mean, and there's a lot of, there's a lot of songs on the radio these days, it seems, talking about victory talking about you know joy and all these things i was even thinking about it as we were singing earlier you know the my my weapon is a melody the fact that we're singing about battles and we can become so full of the victorious language because he is victorious but jesus never called us to take a victory lap he called us to take up a cross and follow Him. He told us that this is who He is and this is who His followers are going to be and this was the struggle that His disciples were dealing with because when He's talking about I'm going to be rejected, you can probably bet they're thinking what happens to us when that happens. He's going to suffer what's going to happen with us if we're right next to Him. And that's what He tells them. If anyone wishes to come after Me, if it's anybody's desire to follow Me, to, to live and to walk my path to believe in me. We must deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow Jesus. There's no other way to be His disciple. And, and, and to deny ourselves, I, I think uh, what, what He is doing here, if, you, if, you, if we go to... Uh, well, let's take it at 33... You know, Peter came and rebuked Jesus, right? In verse 33, uh, Jesus rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on God's interest, but man's. And then he summoned the crowd and he said, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. That, that call to deny himself and, and his statement that you're setting your mind not on God's interest, but man's, that... That is the issue. As long as our minds are set on our interests, on what we desire or what we think is right, and not set on God's interests and what He thinks, we are not denying ourselves. Denying ourselves means setting aside our interests. Floating our minds and setting our minds on God's interests. Allowing Him to be Lord and yielding ourselves to Him. And, and that's why at the beginning I said that at, at some point in your life, I pray you have changed in your theology or your understanding of theology or what God has done because we all begin as babies. 
we all begin just drinking milk. We can't handle anything more. But over time, hopefully, Lord willing, we move into the meat. And when you move into the meat of the Gospel, you start to realize that the broad strokes you painted in your infancy, well, it's a little bit more complicated than that. And there's a little bit more nuance. You know, there's a, there's a need when you're a new believer to, to, to cut off all connections with those that might drag you down with them. You know, as, as new believers, we need to separate from the people that were around us that uh, maybe would lead us into further sin. But as we mature, as we grow in Christ, then it, there are times when we might be called to make those connections again. Maybe not with the same people, but people like them. Once we are strong enough to withstand, once we have enough of God's armor on us that we can withstand those arrows and those attacks, maybe we can move into those places. And we, we, we learn in such broad strokes the Gospel message. And that's why I think we, we see this, that the disciples are like, well, you're the Christ. And, and that's good enough at the beginning. You know, most of us, we don't fully understand what the, the life of a disciple of Jesus is when we accept Him and we get baptized. We're focused on, I'm a sinner and I need forgiveness. I'm a sinner and I need your righteousness. And, and, and that's enough. That's enough. But then as I start walking with Him, I start realizing just how deep the sin goes. You know, sometimes we get rid of the big number ones, right? The, the, the very obvious sins. And it's when we get rid of all those big, obvious ones that we realize, oh, there's, there's smaller problems in my life, aren't there? But we didn't notice them until we got rid of those big ones. And those smaller ones are only small in the sense of hard to see. They might be even more dead, dangerous to our faith. And so we grow and the, the question for us is, is, do we allow Jesus to alter us? Do we allow His Word to change us? Or do we come to it with the same mind that we had, we've just added Jesus to it, and now we make His Word agree with what we culturally already believed? With what we already understood as the way the world works, now we've just slapped a little Jesus label on it. Or do we allow His Word to change our hearts and allow Him to guide us in different ways. I think what we see a lot of times in the world, in the, in the church out in the world, is people who've, who have said, well, He's the Christ. But when He said, well, I'm going to suffer and I'm going to die and I'm going to be rejected and I'm calling you to follow me and do the same thing. we got a lot of people that are supposedly technically in the church who say, not this person. Uh uh-uh. I'm not going to follow you that way, Jesus. I'm going to follow you this other way. Uh, clearly, and one of my favorites is just go to the Sermon on the Mount and try to live that. And try to encourage people around you to live out. Three chapters in Matthew. Five, six, and seven. Try to live that out. And try to encourage the people around you to live that out and find out how quickly they start telling you, well, that wasn't what God meant really didn't mean that no it was illustrative well it was it was figurative not literal we'll find out how quickly 
we're willing to believe and allow Him to change us to read in that. And that's just three chapters out of the Gospels. Jesus makes His argument very uh, strong in verses 35-38. through 38. You notice there He has, if, if you've got your Bible in front of you where you can see them all together, uh, for whoever. For what does it profit? For what will a man give in exchange? For whoever is ashamed of Me. These are all because of this. Uh, and and, and this is why we should. We should take up our cross and follow Him. Because whoever wishes to save his life is going to lose it. If you aren't willing to take up your cross and to follow Me, you're going to lose your life. This is one of those things where to, to follow Me is actually the only way to have life. If you lose your life for My sake and the Gospels, you'll save it. If, if you take up your cross and you follow Me, that's the... That's the only way to save yourself. Not by trying to save your life. You're going to lose it that way. The second reason why he says that we must deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow Him, is he says, because what does it profit you if you gain the whole world and forfeit your soul? And the word for life in verse 35 is the same as soul in verse 36 and 37. It's the same word, it's just in, in the New American Standard Bible, they translated it two different ways. It, it's, it's, it's a word that we often use for the soul, but it means your entire being, your, your whole person. What does it profit you if you're going to gain the whole world and yet lose, forfeit, turn over your own soul, your own life? It, it's, it's not worth it not taking up your cross. Even if you get everything on the other side, you're still forfeiting who you are in your entire life. And then in verse 37, he says, For what will a man give in exchange for his soul? What can you do? What can you give? Do you have enough that you could pay to redeem yourself? No. We don't. And then the, the final reason for whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation. It, we saw that language, you know, the adulterous generation last week seeks a sign. Whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation. Why should we be ashamed of Jesus amongst a people who are sinful and who are unfaithful to God? Why should we be ashamed by them to proclaim the truth and to walk in Jesus' way. If the adulterous and sinful generation is the one that is rejecting us, why should that bother us? But it does sometimes. It does. And he says, whoever is ashamed of me and my words, whoever is ashamed of me, doesn't want to stand up and declare their allegiance to me and walk with me and take up their cross and follow me, if that's who you are in this life, the Son of Man will be the same way to you when He comes in the glory of His Father and the holy angels. He, he is pointing out to us that there is not just real world present uh, benefit to taking up our cross, but there is real world future benefit 
that there is coming a day when He is going to come with His angels in glory. And if we are ashamed of Him today, He will be ashamed of us tomorrow. If we are ashamed of Him when the whole world is in, in rebellion against Him and mocks Him, and we're unwilling to take up our cross and to follow Him, to experience His sufferings and His rejection, when He shows up and everything has been changed, when everything has been flipped up on end, and He is in His glory and He is coming into His kingdom, well then He'll be ashamed of us. There will not be the well done, good and faithful servant. There will be more of a focus on the fact that we didn't speak up for Him. We didn't stand with Him. We were ashamed of Him. Jesus is getting right to the heart of things because the, the, I think this is part of why Peter was rebuking Him. It, it's shameful to be rejected. It's shameful to be treated poorly by your own people. I think about veterans that came home from Vietnam rejected by their own country. Not everybody, obviously, but enough. Calling them names, treating them harshly. Shameful to be ashamed of them. Are we ashamed of Jesus? Are we ashamed of His words? Are we unwilling to accept His way of doing things? His ways are not the world's ways. He makes that very clear. They were expecting the, the Messiah to come and, and to be powerful. And He came and He was powerful, but not the way they thought. What are our expectations that we come to Jesus with? What are we looking for Him to do in our lives? Expecting Him to be like. And when He turns out to be a little bit different, or maybe sometimes a lot different, what are we willing to do? Do we try to rebuke Him and say, Jesus, that's not right. That can't be right. No, that's, that's not the way I want to live my life. Or do we take His words and say, okay, I need to change my way of thinking. I need to change my heart that I would be more like His heart. To love my enemies because He has loved His enemies. To bless those that curse you because He has blessed those that have cursed Him. To be willing to accept suffering in this life for the glory of the Gospel of Jesus Christ and His Word, His message. It's tough to do. That's why Proverbs encourages us and tells us, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Because our understanding is wrong. And what we need to do as believers is to yield our understanding and our interests and accept God's. And that's what it looks like to follow Him. When Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me, we can't get there until we've done the first part. Deny yourself.
And I just want to leave us with this question. Have you denied yourself? Have you denied your understanding? Denied your interests? Are you willing for God to tell you you're wrong? And to show you what is right? That's what he calls us to today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we we thank you, Lord, that you teach us and that you are patient with us and you start us small and bring us to faith. Lord, you don't ask us to understand everything right away. But you just give us a little bit and a little bit and you give us what we can handle. We pray, Lord, that our hearts would be open to you. That our hearts would be open to your teaching. That as you tell us your word and as we understand your heart and your care and your love for others, Lord, that we would be open to your changes in our lives. That if if something we have believed is not right according to your word, Lord, that we would yield to it. That we would change. That we would be open to you. Lord, help us to deny ourselves, our own desires, our own interests, our own preconceived notions. Let us be open to you and to your word and to the guidance of your Holy Spirit. We pray, Lord, that as Jesus calls us to follow him, that we would. Wherever he leads, Lord, we pray we would follow him. We ask this in his name. Amen.